though they turned to other gods and loved cakes of brazen. So I bought her for fifteen shekels of silver and a homer and lepek of barley. And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household god. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Joe. <clears throat> My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope. Uh, really glad that you're with us uh, this morning. Today we start a sermon series uh, through the next 12 weeks through the Minor Prophets that will take us to the end of the year. So it's hard to believe that we really are on the home stretch of 2023 and we'll be in the Minor Prophets for the remainder uh, of the year. <clears throat> These 12 books in the Old Testament are called the the minor prophets, not because they are insignificant, but because they're short. Uh, the major prophets are longer books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Uh, the prophets who wrote the minor prophets were probably just as influential as uh, the longer major prophets. So I hope, well, this isn't actually the reading guide. So this is the last reading guide, but I hope you got a reading guide. Let me turn it this way so you can see the cover. Uh, I hope you got a reading guide uh, and, and are able to read along with us through these uh, minor prophets. We're probably, um, they're, they're really relevant to us today. You, it could be really easy to read through these minor prophets and say, what does this have to do with us today? Um, and, it, and they're really relevant because even with what we're currently seeing in the news with Israel and what's happening in the Middle East, when we see and hear about social injustice, invasions and wars, and political upheaval. Uh, all this has been going on for thousands of years, and the minor prophets show that. We're going to walk through the book of Hosea today, but before we do, I want to give a little bit of context to the minor prophets. So as we go through the reading guide and as we go through the sermon series over the next 12 weeks, we have a little bit better understanding of what is uh, the historical context and what's, what's happening uh, reading the Minor Prophets could be a little bit like reading Martin Luther King's Jr.'s um, I Have a Dream speech. You can read or listen to that speech without a lot of context of really knowing what was going on um, in the country or in his life or in the life of so many African Americans in our country or the dynamics of the culture at the time or not even be aware of the hundreds of years of oppression and slavery that set the stage for what he was speaking against. You can still learn a lot about learn a lot by reading and listening to it. You can be moved by that speech and inspired by his speech. But if we dig into the history of the civil rights movement and the timeline of events and the experiences of the people that worked so hard to bring about a more complete civil rights uh, in our country, we can have a fuller understanding and deeper appreciation of what Dr. King was saying on that day in 1963. So it's like that with the Minor Prophets. We could sit down and read these prophets and get a decent idea of what was going on. We could be blessed by it. We could be inspired by these prophets. We can be challenged by these prophets, be comforted 
Um, And we can even get to know the character of God in a different way through the minor prophets. But if we get a broader idea of what was going on in the nation of Israel, some of the specific sins and atrocities that they were committing, how they were influenced by the nations around them, we can see the richness of these books. Then we have a better idea of why the prophets were urgently pleading with Israel to return to God, and we can more fully understand how to apply these words to our situations today and the gospel and God's redemptive purposes. There's some really helpful resources out there, and if you would like some, come talk to me, come talk to Chris, we'd love to share with you. One easy, great resource is uh, some videos put out by the Bible Project. They do a great job of breaking down um, how to read the minor prophets, how each one fits into the overall redemptive arc in Scripture, so I'd encourage you to check some of those out. Oftentimes when we think of prophets, we think of people who God had called out to tell what was going to happen in the future or to predict or forecast out. There's a little bit of that in the minor prophets, but the primary role of the prophets was to share a specific message from God for their present community and their period of time. So the prophets would remind God's people of the past— they would remind, that remind God of his past faithfulness, the, the past sins of their forefathers. Then in the present, they would warn, comfort, intercede for the people. They would also, as we usually think of prophets, they would correct and rebuke. Then they would look forward to the future hope and promise of the Messiah. Something else, helping, uh, something else that can be helpful to understanding the minor prophets, and especially Hosea, is that Israel was split into two nations. Long story short, they, they split over taxation and the sins of their kings and people. So under the leadership of a guy named Jeroboam, who was one of Solomon's advisors, he wasn't of the line of David, under the prompting of a prophet, led a split of the kingdom with ten tribes forming the northern kingdom, often called Israel or sometimes Ephraim that we'll hear in Hosea, while Rehoboam led the other two tribes to form a southern kingdom often called Judah. The southern kingdom was centered in Jerusalem with kings from the line of David, while the northern kingdom eventually established its capital in Samaria. The northern kingdom set up its own temple and eventually fell into idol worship. So you have prophets like Hosea that we'll see today and Amos who calls this out and urge Israel and the northern kingdom to turn back to God. But the kings and the people don't listen, and because of their disobedience, God allows the Assyrian Empire to come in and take over the kingdom somewhere around 722-720 B.C. The Assyrians were ruthless. They were not nice people. They took the people of the northern kingdom captive, dispersed them all over their empire to try and take away any sense of identity the northern kingdom had of being a, a nation. So the southern kingdom of Judah, the, in that southern kingdom of Judah, the people and kings kept flip-flopping between worshiping God and foreign gods. They would have good kings who would pull the people out of idol worship and then bad kings who would return them back to idol worship and social injustice. So you have prophets that we'll see in the Minor Prophets over the next 12 weeks. Uh, Prophets like Obadiah and Joel who are whistleblowers to all of this. Eventually, because of the sin of the people, the Babylonians come in and take over Jerusalem 
and take 10,000 Jews into exile, and prophets like Habakkuk and Zephaniah continue their prophetic work in Jerusalem while this is all going around somewhere around 600 B.C. Now, I know I'm really flying here. Uh, some of you are just like, I can almost see it like it's starting to glaze over. I'm hearing dates. I'm hearing crazy names. Don't glaze over. Stay with me. Stay awake, all right? I'm, I know I'm really flying here. But eventually, the Persian Empire comes in and overthrows the Babylonians and takes over around 540 B.C. One of the Persian rulers allowed the Jews to return to the southern kingdom of Judah and to rebuild Jerusalem and the people that had been destroyed There was a lot of stopping and starting of the rebuilding of the temple based on the Persian king's mindset towards the Jews. And that's where we find prophets like Zechariah and Haggai. And then we have the last minor prophet of Malachi, which then ushered in 400 years of silence of where God's people Israel didn't hear from him in a formal way. That's a ton. Uh, That makes me dizzy. But based on the minor prophets and the historical time periods that they take place in, we can have a ton of confidence on the reliability of of the scriptures. Because of the names of the kings and rulers and the empires that existed at that time, they match and overlay what we read in the Bible. All right? So with that history lesson in your mind, you should be asking why? Why does the history, what does all of that history of that 800 years that we just flew through, what does that history have to do with me? What does that have to do with us? Well, it has a ton to do with us because in so many ways, we are like them. We are like Israel. And their situation is a lot like our situation. So over the next 12 weeks, we're going to see themes in these minor prophets of God's faithfulness, our human unfaithfulness towards him. We're going to hear calls to repentance and to wake up spiritually. We're going to see our human tendency towards pride, spiritual apathy, and lack of mercy. We're going to see God's heart for justice and how he is committed to overcoming injustice. And we're going to engage the question of can we trust him when we see injustice all around us? We're going to see God's heart of compassion and mercy as well as judgment. Through all of these themes, we're going to see a common thread woven through these books of the love of God and see that in our human brokenness, we can have hope because of the promise of redemption, reconciliation, and forgiveness. So that's sermon number one, all right? So today, we're going to kick this off in the book of Hosea. I remember when I came to know Jesus I was, about, I was around 14 years old, that the youth pastor at the church I grew up in, he had this great idea that he was going to have guys that were juniors and seniors in high school mentor and disciple younger guys in middle school and early high school. And then he was going to do the same with junior and senior girls, uh, mentor and disciple younger girls. So after I came to know Jesus at a student fall retreat, I met with my youth pastor. He asked me if I would be interested in being mentored and discipled by someone a few years older than me in high school. So I said, sure, why not? He gave me a list of guys who said they were willing to do this. And I picked one because I knew him and I thought he was cool. And so we met for that first time. And he said that while he was going to mentor and disciple me, he wanted us to walk through and study the book of Hosea. 
I didn't know much about Hosea other than that it was a book of the Bible, so I was like, great, let's do it. I, you know, I was an eighth, ninth grader, so I was like, great, yeah, we, let's roll with this. So the plan for us was to read a chapter or two for a week, then we'd meet up, uh, meet up once a week and talk about it. So I went into that first week, I started reading through Hosea, and I remember thinking, what in the world? I was reading about a guy marrying a woman. She leaves him to become a prostitute. He buys her back out of a life of prostitution. God is saying Israel's just like this woman. I was a Christian school kid and probably a little bit naive. And I remember thinking, like, are we allowed to be even reading this? <laughs> I had no idea what was going on. I had no idea this kind of content was in the Bible. I mean, I knew a little bit about what was in the Song of Solomon, but I had no idea what this was doing in Hosea. So anyway, we're going to start our series through the Minor Prophets with the book of Hosea. And in it, we're going to see a very vivid picture of God's patient, long-suffering, and faithful love for us. Our unfaithfulness, we're going to see our unfaithfulness towards Him, our need for hope and restoration. And my hope is that through this Minor Prophet of Hosea, we would see the parts of us that are spiritually unfaithful, and that we would respond by repenting of it and make room in our souls to be healed by the love and faithfulness of God. So one more history lesson, I promise, this is the last one. So Hosea was a prophet that lived in the northern kingdom. Remember, the kingdom split, and so Hosea was a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. He calls the, throughout the book, uh, he calls the northern kingdom Ephraim or Israel. Um, this was about 200 years after the kingdoms had split and over 700 years before the birth of Christ. So in the decades leading up to this point, Israel had cycled through king after king until eventually a guy named Jeroboam II was the king of the northern kingdom. He was one of Israel's worst kings. So the nation was really, really chaotic, which eventually led to the Assyrian Empire taking over the nation. Hosea was chosen to speak as a prophet on God's behalf to warn the people of Israel of their unfaithfulness and their tendency to worship idols, embrace social injustice, and they also had this uh, ability and tendency to, to trust in political allies with Assyria and Egypt over God. Israel had this habit throughout their history to, of relying on military power and kings to keep them safe rather than God. So this book of Hosea is a collection of 25 years of his writing, and it's organized into three sections. Chapters 1 to 3 help explain Hosea's personal life and the symbolism behind it. Chapters 4, to, 4 through 12 outlines the sins of God's people. It talks about their unrepentance, the consequences that were going to come because of their unrepentance. And then the final two chapters give a plea to return to the Lord and hope for restoration. And this book opens with a story, a real account, and we learn that God is using this story, this personal story, to teach his people. God tells Hosea to marry a woman named Gomer. They have three kids today, uh, together. Each were given a symbolic name with significant meaning behind those names. God tells Hosea to go buy her back out of prostitution. She moves into a life of prostitution, and he, God tells him to buy her back and to continue to love and care for her. So the passage that Joe just read for us, that's what's happening there. All of this is a prophetic symbol of God's love relationship to his people. In the book of Hosea, Hosea represents God. 
God calls himself Israel's husband in chapter 2, and Gomer represents Israel who had been chasing after everything else to be loved and secure. And God uses Hosea's personal life, struggle, struggle, heartache, and pain to demonstrate different facets of the gospel. So as we walk through this book, we begin to see ourselves in this story of how God has been faithful to us and we have been unfaithful to him. Even in our unfaithfulness, God has offered us hope that can only be found in Jesus. So in Hosea, we first see, number one, God's extreme love for his people. Here we have Hosea, who is married to Gomer, and we don't have a lot of details about their marriage and relationship, but he had to have loved her. They had built a life together, had three kids together. They had human connection and relationship together. They had made memories and shared experiences. And then she leaves him to go to be a prostitute. She's drawn into a life of unfaithfulness. And you want to talk about a gut punch. The shock and trauma that Hosea had to have been experiencing. Then God tells him to go and buy her back and stay married to her. Can you imagine that? Feel that for a second. What would it be like to be Hosea? Now remember, we are Gomer in this story. We have been unfaithful to God. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But can you imagine what that must have felt like emotionally for Hosea? The lack of trust, anger, shame. Can you imagine what could have been swirling around in the heart of Hosea? Feeling torn between the life you know, even if it's destructive, and the life God is calling you to. Hosea could have said, no way and justifiably so. And we don't have it ever recorded that he argued with God, and we don't have any list of questions that he had for God, but surely he had to have some questions. But he goes, he buys her back out of prostitution and loves and cares for her. So as we go through Hosea and the rest of the minor prophets, it could be easy for us to begin to think, wow, there's a lot of judgment and wrath here. There's a lot of anger going on. And there is. But what I think we have to come to understand is that when we see this emotion of anger from God, it comes from a foundation or a root of love. As we'll see in a minute, this is a God that has been cheated on over and over again by Israel. And he's so hurt and angered by their sin because he loves them so deeply. Anger can be a reaction to something or someone you love being harmed. And so God sees Israel embracing idol worship and being harmed by it. And God's angry. He's ticked off. If you have a Bible, turn over to Hosea chapter 11. I just want to give you one example of this here in Hosea. Look at Hosea 11, uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. This is God speaking. He says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burnt offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness with bands of love, and I, began, I, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I went down to them and fed them. Here in Hosea 11, you can hear the hurt and the voice of God here. So we see the anger of God, 
But we also see in Hosea the extreme love God has for his people. His people had cheated on him and God was angry about it because of his love for them. So we see, second, God's faithfulness to his people. Hosea had every right to divorce Gomer and probably should. To, he, he could have walked away and never seen her again. She had broken their marriage covenant, but he doesn't, and he pursues her and buys her back. In the same way God had been faithful to Israel, Hosea explains that over the centuries, he had been faithful in bringing them up out of Egypt. At Mount Sinai, he made a covenant with them in Exodus. He asked them to be faithful to him alone. He then brought them into the promised land, and God cared and provided for them in the promised land. But they started worshiping idols, and they did this over and over and over again throughout the centuries. So God could have ended the covenant. Israel had broken it. And it goes on to say in Hosea 11, he thinks about divorcing them. But instead, God says he is going to pursue Israel again and renew the covenant. He says in Hosea, I will do this out of my love, compassion, and faithfulness. So we see God's love and faithfulness to his people in Hosea, but we also see, third of all, in Hosea, our human unfaithfulness to God. In Hosea's personal story, he had a wife that he loved and entered into a marriage covenant with her. And Gomer was unfaithful and left him for a life of prostitution. And God uses this life experience to make Israel look in the mirror and see their unfaithfulness to him. And in Hosea 12 through 14, Hosea gives a lesson or really more like an indictment on Israel's history of unfaithfulness. He mentions Jacob's lying and deceit. He mentions their complaining and disobedience in the wilderness He talks about when they wanted a king and they set up King Saul as their king, even though he was corrupt. Israel's unfaithfulness was breaking the Ten Commandments. Over the centuries, they embraced social injustice, idol worship, and they were, when they did worship God, they had this tendency to worship God as if everything was fine. They had a history of relying on military power, kings, and political leaders to keep them safe and comfortable rather than God. And Hosea explains that these political alliances that they were making, they were going to be their undoing because Assyria, who the northern kingdom had cozied up with, was going to turn on them and ravage them. As we consider and think about the unfaithfulness of Gomer, the unfaithfulness of Israel, we begin to see that we have parts of our heart, we need to have our soul probed, and we see that we have the parts of our heart, and as our souls are probed, we, get, we begin to see that we are Gomer. We are Israel. And as we realize this, we need to engage this by asking, what are the ways that I am unfaithful to God? What are the parts of me that are drawn to destructive and sinful patterns that create relational separation between God and others? Yes, we are made in the image of God. We are his good creation. At our core, We have this God image. Our God-created core is always within us, but we have strayed from who he made us to truly be. 
And even though God has gone through incredible lengths to provide salvation through the death, resurrection, and work of his son Jesus to restore our God image that has been tainted by sin, we have run towards so many other things to make us feel safe, loved, fulfilled, and we have cheated on him. We have the same tendencies as Israel did to knowingly and unknowingly participate in social injustices. We look to political leaders to make us feel safe. We lie, we manipulate, we hurt people that we are in relationship with. We are unfaithful and cheat on God. We choose our own comfort or pleasure over covenant faithfulness. We choose to indulge or make excuses for our sin instead of uh, pursuing holiness. And we see through Gomer that this is really sad, that sin is sad and dehumanizing. We see that sin is parasitic. It eats away at our souls. So our sin is deep and it touches every part of our bodies and the relationships that we have, the ways that disease just racks a body after this kind of self-inflicted abuse of sexual sin. Our sin is deep. Sin may not feel that way on the front end, but it leaves us being used, discarded, isolated, and it hits us with the reality of what life is like as a spiritual prostitute. Left alone and left empty. But praise God, that is not the whole story. That is not where our story ends. Because finally, there's hope of, there, there is a promise of hope and restoration. Because in Hosea 14, in the middle of all this darkness and brokenness, there's still hope. Hosea calls Israel to repent, even though he knows it won't last because it never has before. Israel calls, or Hosea calls Israel to repent, and God promises in Hosea 14 and verse 4, he says, One day I will heal their apostasy or their waywardness and love them freely. God goes on to describe in Hosea 14 to describe this healed, complete Israel as a lush tree with deep roots, broad branches and fruit, an image of God blessing all nations through Abraham's family. There's hope given for future restoration. God says that one day Israel will repent and worship their God. Hosea says that God will place, the, place over them a new messianic king from the line of David who will bring God's blessing to the world. Just as Hosea moved towards his unfaithful wife Gomer and bought her back and restored her, God was going to move towards unfaithful Israel and restore them and use them for his redemptive purpose. The purpose of restoring us. Unfaithful humans to be his bride. There's so, much, there's so much hope in that. Because we live in sin, and like Israel, we live in apostasy and spiritual apathy. We, like Israel, we have a lot of knowledge about God, but we reject it. God wanted to know Israel in an intimate way, like a husband and wife knows each other. He wants to know us like, he wants us to know him like that. He want, God wants us to experience a personal, intimate knowledge that transforms our hearts. And so we're called to repent. 
to repent and turn from those parts of us that are unfaithful and cheat on God, to move towards him in a posture of trust, to be restored, healed, and made whole. We can have that because of the work of Jesus. Because Jesus is the better Hosea. Jesus has bought us back from our life of unfaithfulness. Not with 15 shekels of silver like Hosea did with Gomer, but with his own blood. Jesus came into the brothel of earth. The nasty, disease-ridden brothel of earth to get us, to bite us back and give us freedom. I want to leave us with 1 Peter 1, 18 through 21. You can turn there if you want to, but I want to leave us with 1 Peter 1, 18 through 21. This will also be our benediction for today. But 1 Peter 1, verse 18 says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Through the faithfulness of Christ, even though that we have been unfaithful, we can receive restoration and healing through his work on the cross, which is why we take communion. We take communion to remind us of the price that was paid to restore us back from our life of unfaithfulness and spiritual prostitution to a life of healing and restoration and hope. In just a moment, you're going to come forward and there'll be two people there serving you communion, you'll break off the bread and you'll dip that bread in the cup and you'll hear the words, this is the body of Christ broken for you and his blood shed for your life, reminding us of the restoration that Jesus came and and bought us back. In the back corner as you leave our, our, our worship gathering space, as you leave these doors out to the right where the couches are, there'll be a prayer team there that would love to pray with you. If you need to talk, I'll be available. Chris will be available. We'd love to sit down and, and talk about what is stirring in your heart and soul. But as we come to take communion, let's remind ourselves and each other of the price that was paid to restore us back from our life of unfaithfulness. Would you pray with me? God, forgive us for our life of unfaithfulness. Forgive us of the ways that we have spiritually prostituted ourselves out. We have sold out on you. We have embraced so many other things to feel safe, loved, comforted, fulfilled. Forgive us of that. Heal us of that. And this morning, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we say thank you. Thank you for buying us back, for taking us out of the brothel, and for healing our unfaithfulness and making a way for us to have a close, intimate relationship with you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Come when you're ready.